New York Real Talk with Pamela Sue Mann, Alex Lefchuk, and some incredibly inspiring guest co-presenters from the city that never sleeps via Siren Radio and Southside Broadcasting. Real Talk is spelled R-E-E-L. So I can only assume they're going to be talking about cinema. You may have noticed as we head into the 17th episode of New York Real Talk, we've got slightly new jingles. Yeah, thanks to Phil Learness for creating some marvellous things for that. And this one actually ties into the real as in R-E-E-L, doesn't it, Pamela Suman? It certainly does. <laughs> and thank you so much, uh, Jonathan, and thank you, Abby, for joining us. Hello. Of the listener, we have been joined by the awesome actor Jonathan Lindsley and indeed ace actress, university graduate, English scholar, all around fine Canadian, Abby, Lay, Abby LeMay. How are you, Abby? I am good. I am just having a nice lazy Saturday today. How about everyone else? We're just chilling in a New York Real Talk way. And for the benefit of those people who are listening to this on Siren Radio on a Wednesday or Thursday, don't be confused. It's just a time thing. Uh, Pamela, over to you. Would you like to take the lead? Because uh, Jonathan, of course, was was all set for last week, but we got caught up in one of those temporal mixes, which meant that Abby took him in immediate centre stage, and quite rightly so. But go for it, Pamela. Uh, yes, um, and these things do happen. Um, Jonathan, I'm, I'm so pleased to have you on New York Real Talk. And um, yeah, and I... It's interesting, you know, going over what I know, which is not very much, um, what I've seen of, 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 of the vastness of, of your trajectory and, and your career in the arts and segue into painting and, and all of the great work you're doing. Um, I am going to zone in on a very specific question, if you don't mind me asking. <laughs> no, I don't mind, I'll answer any questions. Can't guarantee they'll okay. be interesting, but I'll do my best. I'm certainly they. I'm certain they will. Um, so you you were you were uh, probably a, a regular. Um, I don't know what the correct term is, uh, but on um, the last of the summer wine, correct? It's one yes, of the. That's anything? that's correct. Yeah. Okay. Um, would you mind sharing how you got that role, and if it was. A shift for you because I know I believe I believe you've studied some quite serious theater and uh, I from the little I know of the fantastic British actors um, that I have uh, learned about or met it's such a beautiful cross training it's such a I'm hoping my daughter can go over there and study because it just seems like that a good British actor cannot do. <laughs> so I'm, I'm curious to, I mean, I'm wondering if that was quite a segue for you to, to go into, um, it was a bit of a, a comedy, yeah? Yes, um, it's a situation comedy and it was a long running situation comedy and I, I knew of the show before I was involved with it um, and it was set in Yorkshire and that's where I'm from. So that's one of the reasons why I ended up in that television show. And yes, I trained for the theatre. Um, I trained at the, uh, at the Bristol Old Vic, um, which is uh, one of the top, top schools in the, in the country, uh, drama schools in the country. And, and I trained uh, for, for classical theatre. I, I, I trained for 
Shakespeare and plays and, and you know, uh, expected to end up in the West End and hopefully do well um, in theatre. Um, what tends to happen is uh, when you're young and a student and you're starting out in, in life as a, as a, as a theatre actor, you, you, you're not quite prepared for the diversity of roles that are going to come your way or the lack of roles that are going to come your way. So what you tend to do is you tend to be very, um, I, was, I, I, I was very specific. I said, I'll only do good quality work and I'll only do um, serious theatre and I will only be, uh, you know, because I'm an artist and I believe in, in my work. Um, and of course, what happens is that along come uh, agents who say, yes, but you'll not make any money doing that. Um, and if you work in television, you'll make a lot more money. And if you make television commercials advertising beer or hot dogs or whatever it is, then um, you'll also do better um, from commercials. So what tends to happen is you tend to prostitute your art a little and, um, and decide that it'd be quite nice to own a house and pay rent and generally have a life and own a car and all those kind of things. So. Um, but actually, weirdly, uh, this is a long answer, but uh, very strangely, I actually ended up in the television series Last of the Summer Wine um, because, because I was in the stage play of Last of the Summer Wine. So I was actually on stage in the stage play of the television series. And because the writer liked what I was doing on stage, he wrote my character into the television show. So that's how I ended up. Uh, are there and um, and the other thing that worried me a, a bit at the time of getting into that career was that um, I, I replaced uh, a character, not quite replaced, but um, I was going to be have an uncle and an aunt who ran a cafe in the series. Um, but uh, the the actor who played my my uncle passed away, so I kind of replaced him. Um, and then a little later on, I did some television commercials for beer in which I replaced another actor who passed away. Um, so I began to worry that I was only ever going to play um, step into dead men's shoes, if you see what I mean. So that was a kind of difficult area of my career to start off with. But um, yeah, Summer Wine was brilliant. And, and um, one of the strangest things about that is, and not many people know this, but I do a, I do a chat about called From Home Firth to Hollywood. And basically, because my career started in Homeforth, which is where the television series Last of the Summer Wine was filmed, um, and I ended up in Hollywood doing the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. And in between, obviously, I did quite a lot of other things. But the interesting thing is that um, Homeforth in North Yorkshire, well, in, in West Yorkshire, actually, uh, not far from Manchester, was the centre of the British film industry. And it's where movies were started to be made. And in fact, in about 1900 or 19, between 1900 and the beginning of the First World War, there were more movies made in Homeforth than there were in Hollywood. So Homeforth was the Hollywood of the world when it started. Then along came the First World War and uh, the rest is history, as it were. A lot of people went off to war and met a lot of Americans who were over here fighting as well and are presumably making propaganda films and this is my theory, and I've got nothing to back it up, but I reckon they sat and had a conversation and the British filmmakers went, well, we work in a place called Homeforth where it rains all the time. We have to wear thermal underwear in the winter. And all the American filmmakers said, oh, well, we work in a place called Hollywood and um, it's uh, very spacious and it's 68 to 75 degrees most of the year round. It's sunny. We have a lovely time. 
and um, and we can work outdoors all the year round. And I reckon the British filmmakers went, hang on a minute, we're going to nip <laughs> over to Hollywood and start making films. And this is why I believe Santa Monica has a pier, fish and chip shops, pubs, and all the sort of things that go with being a British seaside resort. So I think the Brits moved over there to make movies. That's what I think happened in the history of film, basically. That's the end of my answer. Sorry, it was a long one. <laughs> That's a fantastic connection. You know, I have to say there, there's 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 something that I can equate to that. I went to a jazz school for for a, for music college, and you know, jazz was was once frowned upon, but it was looked upon very loftily. You know, in in certain circles, that if you go to a jazz school, you you know, you're intelligent, you're clever, you 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 practice six to eight hours a day, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. None of these schools of which I belonged to, however, I did go to this school. And when I left the school, and I learned jazz theory, and you know, all, I was listening to sophisticated music for, or what I thought was for for many hours a day, um, and writing songs with many chord changes, I got out and I moved to New York City. And I remember saying, I will only do job, like yeah, as if jobs were going to come flooding my way. I will only do work that is, you know, at my level of, of musicality of what I like to listen to, nothing below that. And a friend of mine from college had called me 
and offered me a tour on the phone with a band on Arista Records, which was like, um, you know, they were on the charts. And I remember having this, this existential dilemma because I thought, oh my God, I can't do that. That's not jazz. It's not sophisticated. It's, it's like dance house pop music. I can't do it. And, um, but I took the gig and television and they didn't plug in our, our, our keyboards because it, we weren't actually playing live. It was all to tape. And I remember turning to my friend who went to Juilliard, who played bass, and his bass wasn't plugged in either. And I just was like, Jeff, you people, our friends are going to be watching this, you know, ridiculous person out of school. And uh, my lead is my, my, I didn't say lead back then because they didn't know that's what you called it, but my cable is not plugged in. These people are going to know that I'm a fake and a phony. And I, I, you know, I just came from Berkeley. And I remember Jeff just turned to me, I won't say his last name, but he is a dear friend. And he said, as long as they're paying me, <laughs> I don't care if they plug me in or not. And he smiled and he kept playing. <laughs> so, you know, you, 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 you have those lofty ideals, right? And I'm, I'm sure Abby is the same. You know, and then at a certain point, the first, the first gig comes by and they offer you money and it's this or starvation. And, you, you know, you sort of have to choose. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Sophistication is a very good word. Um, yeah, I felt that I was I was far too sophisticated to do a situation comedy on British television, but uh, I, I kind of you square it away as well. You start to make um, you say, well, I'm going to do it as well as I possibly can. And I'm going to bring all my acting skills to bear on it so that it will be it will be high art in, in its in its way. But it never was. Yes, it was, Jonathan. As I say, I would define the, uh, the, the, the joys of Last of the Summer Wine as being a bit like a, a British version of Golden Girls with males uh, and uh, set in Yorkshire. That's the key thing. So you're mostly male, set in Yorkshire, but other than that, it's, it's almost indistinguishable and with obviously less sunshine. Um, let's turn to, to Abby, if we may, Pamela, because I think she's been listening to this. And obviously, Abby, you've been an extra supporting artist in Titans. You're keen to actually move into the acting side of things. Uh, it's fair to say from the listener's point of view, you're sitting in a chair, which looks as though you're ready for world domination at this moment in time, which is great. Um, have you got any questions you want to put to either Jonathan or Pamela about sort of your own sort of experiences so far as a graduate within the worlds of entertainment and so on? Absolutely. I, this might be a bit more personal, though, as opposed to a general question. Um, I love hearing conversations like this. I really am just soaking it in. Uh, but now what I'm curious about, I'm sure people have constantly asked, oh, what's your what's your favorite role or what's your favorite performance? But I'm curious what your kind of dream role or performance would be. What is your dream? What is your goal? Because I feel like when I think of my dreams and goals, I'm just at the beginning of my career. I don't really know what I'm doing yet. And so they're very broad and vast. But as people who are more seasoned and who have been in their industry, I'm curious how maybe your dreams kind of evolved and shifted. So I'd love to hear more about that. Oh, I, well, if you're asking me, um, I can tell you that uh, I've always, well, I've, I've always been told by a lot of people who've taught me um, in the theatre and trained me that I was born to play Bottom in Midsummer Night's Dream. And I have actually played Bottom in Midsummer Night's Dream at the Globe um, in London. And I've also uh, played it um, in Dubai in the first, uh, uh, as far as I know, first ever Shakespeare performed in English in uh, the United Arab Emirates. Um, and 
one of the reasons I've, I've, I was told that I was born to play bottom is that um, I've always believed uh, that uh, it's very important that everybody is good on stage with you and that you're a team. And I think that that's the wonderful thing about, about the players in Midsummer Night's Dream, which is that um, bottom, although all the other players think he's brilliant, he also wants everybody else to be good. And, uh, and, he, and he's desperate to be there. And then he overacts, which is something that uh, I've always had to fight quite hard. But I suppose, yeah, that's my favourite theatre role. And um, on screen, I would say that my favourite thing that I've ever done um, was, was play a villain. Um, I played a gangster in a television series here about a police, um, formula police drama series. And I was um, utterly awful. I mean, horrible. I mean, a psychopath, a drug dealer, uh, Mr. Big, owner of lots of expensive cars, houses, trophy wife, the whole thing. And I absolutely adored that. And there was a moment in that where I was seeking to uh, uh, an, an act of revenge on a, on a corrupt police officer. And they gave me this fantastic camel coat, gangster coat. I had this amazing um, black BMW car. I came out of the car, had two shotguns in each hand, and I walked across um, a car park um, being filmed all the way uh, with this kind of look on my face of I'm going to kill anything that stands in my way. And I, to be honest with you, that was a great moment for me on screen. So those are kind of things that I've enjoyed doing. But I think, generally speaking, being a performer, being an actor, just given the chance to perform is really a privilege. And and I think if you're starting out, um, then grab everything uh, with both hands and hang on as, as much as possible. And always remember, there are three stages, I think, in a career of an actor. One is, one is to get known um, by your fellow professionals. That's other people who work with you. And then you should hopefully get known by the casting directors, directors and producers who will know that because people will talk about you and you guard your reputation um, uh, very, very carefully. And then finally, um, this is the stages that I think you should go through. Eventually you will get known by the public. And then when people know you, and uh, sometimes that doesn't happen. Sometimes they, they don't know your name, but they know your face. Um, a friend of mine calls it being a finger-clicking good actor because um, people come up to you in the street and they go, oh, you were in that, uh, you did that, oh, you, um, and they can't quite remember what, who you are or what you, but they've seen you, or they think they know you from other worlds. So yes, to, to get known by the public. And if you, if you miss one of those stages, I don't think you're likely to have a long career. That's another thing that I think is important. So yeah, favorite roles, I think those are the two that, uh, that stand out for me. And, and other than that, it's just, it's just jolly good fun to be in, anything to have lovely words to say Shakespeare is wonderful to perform in that's my answer <laughs> we like to squeeze in some music Jonathan we obviously had the theme to uh, last the summer wine is there any particular musical choice that you've found has been inspirational or positive and assisted you through the years at any particular times well um I like I like movie music and funnily enough um I find it quite uh, quite emotional listening to the Pirates of the Caribbean theme, actually, um, because I think that some of the music for that is brilliant. Um, Hans Zimmer, is it, who, who wrote the, the, the music? And, and he is a, I think he's a musical genius. 
Um, I also like Pamela's music very much. Um, I discovered it relatively recently when I first met Pamela about, what, two months ago. And uh, I'm now a fan. So um, I, 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 and, and I'm very glad she had the jazz training. I'm also very glad that she didn't think she was too sophisticated to sing some really interesting and very, she's very talented. So I'm, I'm, I'm privileged to have listened to her music. Well, we've got a double whammy because clearly Hans Zimmer will please Jackie Joyner, who is in episode, uh, I think, uh, 16 of New York Real Talk. Uh, we couldn't uh, squeeze in Hans Zimmer then, so we'll have Hans Zimmer now. But I have to ask the question, obviously, Jonathan, what's your favourite Pamela Suman track so far? Oh, OK. Um, I tried to remember the name of it now. Um, I, I liked it and I think I bought it. But... Um, but I can't remember what... Was what, it about what, flamingos? Was it about ouch? No, was it, no, what, no, ouch. No. Ouch. It was, it was called ouch. That's the one. And not, as we've said before, to be confused with the Ruttles version of Ouch. Ouch, you're breaking my heart. Ouch, you'll tear me apart. Ouch, ouch, ouch. Ouch, you're 
breaking my heart. Ouch, I'm falling apart. Ouch, ow, ow, ouch. When we first met, I must admit, I fell for you right from the start. Now when we meet all kinds of things it seems upset the apple cart all kinds of things it seems upset the apple cart Ouch don't desert me Ouch please don't hurt me Ouch 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 What is this thing called love why do they say it makes the world go round Explain the way I feel for you, my feet don't touch the ground. The way I feel for you, my feet don't touch the ground. Ouch, don't desert me, ouch, please don't hurt me, ouch, 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 ouch. When we first met, I must admit, I fell for you right from the start. Now when we meet all kinds of things it seems upset the apple cart all kinds of things it seems upset the apple cart Ouch don't desert me ouch please don't hurt me ouch ow ow ouch ouch don't desert me ouch please don't hurt me ouch ow Just a thought. Uh, Neil uh, Innes, I believe, was responsible for that one. A different kind of ouch, basically. You're listening to New York Real Talk and uh, Pamela Suman in the chair, of course. Um, and we've heard a Pamela Suman track, which is fine. We have Jonathan Lindsley with us. Pamela, do you want to throw in the wacky New York moment question now? Because it is a staple of the show. Well, I could, but I, I think I'm right in saying that Jonathan has yet to have his wacky New York moment. Am I right in saying that? I've, like I've never had a wacky New York moment, no. <laughs> um, although, what, so I, I've, ex, I've extended the question, in case that happens, to, to in the imagining of New York, because I believe that everyone who's aware of New York City has a relationship with it, whether they've been there or not. And I think that, you know, friends that I have are, who who are from 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 the old country, you know, who maybe would get a Sears catalog, you know, or something, you know, sent to Ireland, and they would look and they would think of America as the Sears catalog and and all the things you could get and how on television the streets were so wide and you know um, there are images of it. So I would ask Jonathan what your sort of favorite uh, fantasy sort of within films or television or music or anything you've experienced of New York City, if there's a wacky moment or something that has struck you about New York City, not that, you know, not not the iconic buildings and the, and the things that you, one would visit, but like a moment, a state of mind, something that was quintessentially New York City to you, that might also be entertaining or, or funny. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> That's not an easy question to answer. Um, I mean, because obviously the first thing that springs to mind is the iconic buildings and and all the things that you want to do and 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 things. Like, I mean, because since I was a child, I wanted to I wanted to go to the top of the Empire State Building, for example, which was which which has always been a dream of mine and I've never yet achieved. Um, 
Yeah. But I think I, th I think uh, for me that uh, I mean uh, I absolutely adore the film Midnight Cowboy, and uh, I think that the seamier side of New York and the and the difficulty and the that I mean having lived in America for a little while in in Hollywood and 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 seen California, uh, I've always been struck by the the this kind of fabulous wealth of the rich parts of, of the cities. And then just around the corner, there's the kind of almost abject poverty of people who are living on the streets, people. And that contrast has always struck me as something that in, 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 in Great Britain, there's less of, I would say, um, because we have more kind of social welfare, I think. Um, and because we have the NHS, which is the National Health Service and things like that, which I think makes a difference to the way people are treated. So I would say that um, that, that some of the uh, some of the difficulties of and, and just the way people have to kind of um, sort of grift to get by in New York is something that I've always it's always impressed me. The kind of um, um, I don't know what it is. It's the it's the creativity I think of New Yorkers. I mean the the the, the kind of um, and the, and the spirit and the the American dream, you know, that idea that any day, any now, any day now, your your world could change and you could suddenly become elevated. And I like that. And also there's a kind of I mean, there is an old an old school class thing going on. But for me, I think that I like the idea that 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 any kind of creative drive or any entrepreneurial drive that you have, there is a chance that you can do well, which is less likely to happen in, in the UK in, in an older an older country an older environment because we have this we have this kind of ceiling that stops people from rising from one I mean just which school you go to and which university you go to and things like that that are important so I think um, I kind of admire New York for that I admire the people in New York for that um, and also I'd like to go there because when I've worked in any theatre in any town in any city anywhere in the world, and I have worked in a few, I've always asked the stage doorkeeper, where shouldn't I go in this city? Where's the most seediest, horriblest, dirtiest, nastiest, most dangerous place? And I kind of, I've, I'm sort of drawn to going to those places. I don't know why, but I've, in my experience, they've never been as scary as the man on the stage door painted them to be. And the people I've met there have always been the most interesting people. So I would say, for me, New York, New York is about people and not about play, about buildings. Yeah, no, you're absolutely answer. right. That's a wonderful answer, and that's that is the that is the why of 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 the New York question because it's such a crazy place full of characters and anyone that's even spent a moment here has definitely had an experience. As you know, Abby was talking about the last time. You can't help it because it is it is all about people and 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 there is it's interesting that you mentioned uh, midnight cowboy because you know my, my mother grew up in the Bronx and then she couldn't get out of Manhattan soon enough and then I couldn't get back here soon enough and and I remember when I came it was you know I came a few times to visit but really I moved here in '94 and uh, things were already starting to clean up and change but still there were these other last bastions of, of the 80s that were falling apart and all the the, 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 the drugs and the, and, the, and the wealth of the music industry and other industries and that sort of the crumbling of Rome as it was happening. And then 
corporations coming in and becoming more expensive and more gentrified and but still there will always be as you say like that underbelly of of people that just have to rely on their wits and their hard work and their grit to get by and that really is a recipe for great character amazing character and and i promise you when you come here you will meet you know, come to, I'll tell you which parks to go to. You know, come oh, to the tell me the places I shouldn't go. <laughs> and I will go there. And, and a fun fact has emerged from Kenny Johnson, Kenneth Johnson, of course, television writer and producer extraordinaire. Uh, the role of John Voight, of course, John Voight's character in Midnight Cowboy was originally due to be played by Lee Majors. But sadly, Lee couldn't actually do it because he was booked for the Big Valley at the time. So I just thought I'd throw that out there. Could have been the six million dollar man as indeed the, the the midnight cowboy and not john voigt so angelina jolie's dad 
might have had a whole new world from the whole thing. Um, you may be interested, actually, in terms of uh, events and various other things. You talk about where you shouldn't go, but I couldn't resist. I mean, for the benefit of the radio listener, we occasionally have little background shots that come up from Pirates of the Caribbean, from Last of the Summer Wine, etc. And I decided that this one, which was apparently taken uh, from the St. Leonard's Rotary Club at the Cooden Beach Hotel uh, on Wednesday, August the 15th, 2018, uh, from that point of view. So, I mean, I would have thought that being at a, 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 a Rotary Club, specifically the St. Leonard's Rotary Club, could have been a fairly terrifying experience akin to working th walking through uh, Central Park in, in the middle of the night. Well, it, it wasn't terrifying oh. at all. They're lovely people, the Rotary Club, um, and uh, they do amazing work for charity. And one of the things that they like to have is after their annual um, dinner, where they all meet up and have a chat, they like to have an after-dinner speaker. So they invited me to basically talk about um, uh, my, my life in television and film and stuff like that, which was good fun to do. And um, I, I'm, I'm constantly amazed at how many people um, watched Last of the Summer Wine um, back in the 80s when I was, was doing that programme. And... Um, I understand why, because at the time there were only three and then four television channels in the whole of the UK. And we used to get audiences of 19 and 20 million viewers um, for the show. And now any television programme that was broadcast in the UK uh, would be lucky to get 10 million viewers if, you know, uh, on any given night. So it's because there are so many channels and so many, so much choice and people stream TV and all that kind of stuff. So the world has changed dramatically. But it, it is the case that a lot of people, because it was on on a Sunday evening um, and it followed Songs of Praise, which was the religious hymn singing program uh, broadcast here in the UK. Um, I think a lot of people, families sat down and watched it. So there were it was multi-generational in the sense that children watched it with parents and grandparents. So I have a fan base that spans probably 40 years, um, which is kind of interesting in the sense that I get different things from different people. So I think my youngest fan on, on Facebook is 18, and I think my oldest fan is in her 90s. So it's kind of fun to have people who enjoy the same kind of thing but span all generations. So uh, I do, I do, I can't remember what the question was. Oh, St. Leonard's, yes. So, um, so I enjoyed the I enjoyed the talk um, and I enjoyed speaking to the Rotary Club and I, I, a big plug to Rotary Clubs internationally across the world. They do a fantastic job of um, promoting. I mean, this particular Rotary Club that I went to, the St. Leonard's Rotary Club, have a, um, a trip every year to Africa where they take medicines, um, unused NHS medicines that people donate. And they also take um, uh, things like oh, underwear for children and um, and all sorts of, you know, sanitary products and everything um, out to Africa and they ship it all out there and they hand it out in clinics. And I think it's fantastic. I mean, I think that sort of work is amazing. So um, I'm very happy to talk to a Rotary Club or indeed anybody else who wants to book me um, because <laughs> I'm not that sophisticated. <laughs> Oh, I don't know, Jonathan. I was sharing with Pamela before we, we spoke today that uh, uh, when you first came on board the old Dulwich radio system, I mean, I thought there's a very sophisticated individual, basically. It was all, it was all part uh, and parcel of the whole agency sort of package. 
Well, thank you very much um, for the plug, Alex. Abby, from your own perspective, again, uh, anything else you'd like to add? I mean, clearly your own New York moment, as you shared with us previously, was when your mum and yourself was trying to actually get theatre tickets for Broadway and all manner of challenges and crises for that. Any observations you'd like to, to raise now? Or indeed, any thoughts on the classic line, which we're still working on, as far as a strap line for this show, New York Real Talk is concerned. Uh, New York Real Talk, home of the world's finest pickle, with, of course, pickle being a double entendre as Pamela agreed on the uh, the last thing, having a double meaning, uh, pickle, the physical pickle, and indeed a pickle as in a precarious situation. Abby, <laughs> any thoughts? That is, you know, I, I'm still a little bit confused by it, if I'm being honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'd love to hear more about the double entendre, because I'm not exactly sure why it would be a double entendre. But uh, other than that, I don't really have too many questions. I'm just kind of loving sitting here and learning more about the industry. Um, it's only my second time on the show. I feel like I learn more and more. I'm excited for the next one. Well, um, it, yeah, I want to hear more about the pickle. I would love to hear. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I think this is a, a running thing. I mean, Jonathan, any thoughts on, on this pickle scenario? I mean, Abby's, uh, in fact, it's Abby and, and yourself, Jonathan, have both done face-to-face -face studio work with me. Pamela, I've only ever worked with via the medium of Zoom. I do uh, well. exist. <laughs> I'm an avatar. I'm not real. <laughs> the thing I'm about <laughs> one thing that I do think separates, um, you know, that the, the old classic line about uh, um, America and, and the UK being um, a, a country separated by a common language. Um, I've, I've, I've always kind of understood that um, the British sense of humour, we, we like double and triple and quadruple entendres and anything that refers to any part of any body that remotely resembles anything that could be a, 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 a anything to do with sex. Um, and we've always laughed at that. Um, I did find when I was in America that that is less, the double entendre is less used in America. Um, so pickle for me has at least three meanings, and um, and uh, but I but I'm I'm quite happy not to go into what they all are. Mm -hmm. yeah, and let's I not mean, even bring in Canada because that could be a whole new world. I'm going to, have to <laughs> yes, exactly. my, I'm going to consult my subconscious and get back with you <laughs> because um, I think there are certain Americans who, um, and I don't know, my lineage is, is um, Jewish American from, uh, from the Northeast in New York. And so, we, you know, I never really felt particularly American. And um, uh, a, friend, a friend of mine wrote a great book on, on Hollywood and, and how a lot of Eastern European writers like Bill Wilder, William Wilder, and, um, and these amazing actors and writers flocked to Hollywood back in the day, like when it was all just sort of first forming and how brilliant they were and how there was like double, triple, quadruple entendre, a lot of it because of things that could be said, couldn't be said, you know, could be inferred. It was a really oh, yes. magical time in film. And, and of course I'm a songwriter, so I, I, I love words. And I just love when I love the wordplay and I love the, the cleverness of, of saying something that could mean something else. And I think that was what tickled me about the um, <laughs> my God, this is bad. The, the whole the whole idea of the pickle is just I was saying that my daughter and I love pickles. I grew up with kosher pickles and they're that's it's a world. There are many different 
types and you could pickle something for a really long time or just a little bit and and we're always searching for the best tasting pickle this is really i can't talk about this anymore <laughs> well can i just say that's very interesting because what you just said um because there is a theory and and i've read this quite a lot quite a lot which is that um if you want to make people laugh on stage use words with k in them and any any word with the letter k in is often amusing. Oh. Um, so if you think of a few words with K in them, um, I mean, like you use the word tickle and pickle, and there fickle. are many. Fickle is another one. And of course, there are some rude words with K in uh, as well. Precisely so. Um, and um, and so it's that's it is a, it is a theory um, that I've I've used uh, when writing when writing the script of pantomime. Um, if you want to make people laugh. You can use any word with a K in it, and it's very helpful to get See? a uh, to get a laugh. Alex, I think we're on to something here with the pickle. I really, I really do. And and really, what I meant was like the finest pickle, because when you find yourself in New York, and I feel like again, if it bears too much explaining, maybe we should just throw it out. We we, we probably do need to that. draw a line because just looking at the time, it's time for those last two questions. Phrased, of course, not in the old traditional midweek driveway, but in the new New York real talk without the K way. <laughs> real talk. That's got a K in it. That's <laughs> That's good. Oh, what a fine pickle we're in. Um, so I will put the two questions um, to to Abby first, ladies first, and then to Jonathan. And if Alex wants to answer, he can answer too. You're, you're welcome to join in. Um, have you had a good time with us? And <laughs> would you like to come back soon? I absolutely have a wonderful time. I love chatting with all of you guys and I would love to come back next week, of course. Is it actually minus 20 degrees centigrade in Toronto at present, Abby? It's really bad. Oh. It's really, really cold. Uh, my, eyelash, my eyelashes froze on the trip to the grocery store this morning. So, <laughs> very yes. cool. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully See, next week it won't be as chilly. It, but that's it probably that. will be. <laughs> so that's, we'll see. I'll check back in with all of you. That's that 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 that's serious global warming. That is, um, Jonathan. Back to you. Uh, well, if I'm answering those questions as well, yes, um, I'd like to say thank you very much for inviting me. I did have a very interesting time. Uh, thank you for asking me questions, and of course, it was a joy to meet Abby and to meet Pamela again, and of course to see you as well, Alex. So thank you very much for inviting me, and I, I would, uh, it would be a great pleasure to return whenever I might be invited. Thank you. And for fans of Jonathan Lindsley, he will be appearing in future episodes of Resonance Rewind and The Midweek Drive, certainly on Siren Radio and Southside Broadcasting, as indeed with Pamela Suman and Abby LeMay. Uh, that's it, guys. Pamela, would you like to lead us out with that final quote? <laughs> okay, actually, I think this might be the first time I've ever said it. <clears throat> Excuse me. New York Real Talk, home of the world's finest pickle. <laughs>